Huh? Abby, wasn't that good? Look at that. She's right there. I love watching these young kids as they watch themselves. It's awesome. Well, what a blessing uh, it has been. Uh, And thank you for continuing that blessing, Abby, as we have been able to listen to um, brothers and sisters in Christ here at ZPC all summer younger and older alike, uh, and to be able to hear uh, what, what the Psalms have meant to them and how they, how they speak to them in their everyday lives and the difference that Scripture and God is making uh, in, in people's lives in lots of different ways. And we think that is so important uh, because, you know, Scott and I, we get, to, we get to stand up here quite a bit and tell you, but, uh, but it, is, it is important for you to be able to hear how, how other folks and lots of other ZPC folks, brothers and sisters in Christ, are experiencing God. And so I just thank you for everyone who has done that uh, this summer, and I want you to know what a blessing it has been to me and I think to us as well. Now, um, Abby already read the, the scripture, and since it's kind of long, I'm not going to reread it again. And so she did a, a great job at it. In fact, we're going to um, have her read the scripture uh, every Sunday from now until the end of the year. And so, uh, are you good? All right, great. And um, so, but I do want to open us up in prayer. So let's, uh, let's open up in prayer. God, we do give you praise for the ways that, uh, that you speak to us. For the ways that you use your children, no matter what age they are, to speak words of truth and beauty about how you have loved them and provided for them. How you have cared for them. And so, God, as we look over this psalm today, I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Amen. So, in two days, in less than 48 hours, my life and Megan's life will forever change. And the reason for that is that our eldest child, Shaughnessy, is going to start kindergarten. And we know, because so many of you have told us this, that as soon as that starts, nothing is ever the same again. And quite honestly, we're already kind of feeling a lot of that pressure, really. I mean, we're getting all of these emails. I mean, hey, good to know you guys are putting out pesticides, right? What would we do without knowing that? And, and, and we're getting these things about school supply lists, and, and, and we're worried about what kind of lunchbox are we going to get for Shaughnessy. We want her to stand out, but not too much. And, and we're nervous. Is she, is she going to make, is she gonna make friends? And, you know, is anyone going to like her? And, and so we, we're kind of, you know, we're starting to think through all of these things, you know. I, I'm wondering, you know, do I need to go that first day and check out every boy who walks through those doors and uh, you know I mean it's it's a little it's a little anxiety inducing quite frankly and so you know and a part of it the major reason why that is is because we're about to lose control Uh, and so Shaughnessy has been underneath our watchful eye of Megan or I pretty much 24-7, 365 days a year for the last um, 63 months of her life and now all of a sudden We're giving her to a woman we haven't even yet met. And so we're a little bit nervous, quite frankly. And and one of the questions we're asking ourselves is, how have we taught her? Have we we taught her enough that she is going to be okay on her own? 
Is she, going to, to, is she going to remember her manners and how she's supposed to be polite to others? Is she going to embarrass herself? More importantly, is she going to embarrass her parents? What, you know, how, how is she going to, uh, how have we done at instructing her so that when we're not watching her anymore, she is still a, a good, solid citizen and friend of others. And so, and, and I was thinking about that this week, of course, because, you know, this is the last kind of week before we, uh, before we send her off. And, and then I was also reminded of the fact that we've got a baptism today. We, we're baptizing old Lyle Thomas Walgren. And so, uh, right? Okay, good. All right. And so uh, I want to make sure you never know. Uh, and so we are baptizing him. And, and one of the things that we've talked about this a little bit before, but, but when we do a baptism, right, it, it's not just the parents who are making a commitment. It's all of us, right? So we are all covenant parents, as I like to call it. And all of us at covenant parents are saying that we are going to help teach this child. And all of these children around here, these are all our children, and so one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, while it's certainly important that we're teaching them to be polite, and, and while it's certainly important to teach them that they, they shouldn't be picking their nose in public, right? Uh, right? Okay. And, and so while these things are absolutely vital, there is nothing more significant than asking the question of whether or not we are teaching these children the faith. And whether or not they are learning what it means to follow God and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so the beginning of this school year and the baptism, it seems to me, dovetail into making a perfect question of of how good of a job are we doing at teaching our children? And there's been a lot of research done of late about that very question. And they've, they've asked here in America, a lot of kind of teenagers especially. And, 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 and overall, our report card is that we're doing a pretty poor job. That most of our teens just aren't really capturing the faith. And this is those who are being raised up in the church. And that should give all of us, if they're all our children, a bit of a pause. Now, we could easily say, as some people do, well, you know, it's just kids these days, you know, I don't know what's wrong with them. Or, or, or you could blame the culture if you wanted to. But the reality is, as researchers look at this, what they've discovered, interestingly enough, is that most of these children, their faith looks exactly like their parents. So we are teaching them well. It's just that we may not be teaching them the faith that we're really called to be teaching them because we may not actually be living it out. And so that seems kind of significant to me and important. And as I was thinking about that, I realized that in many ways, the 139th Psalm speaks to this very struggle that we have. The 139th Psalm, I hope you heard it. I'm sure you did. It it talks about the fact that the psalmist has a a rich sense in the fact that God is active in his life, that God knows when he he raises up and when he sits down, that God knows when he he goes out and when he he comes back in, that, that, that even before he has said a word, even before he knows what word he's going to say, that God already knows it. 
Now, it's a bit ambiguous, really, as to whether or not this is actually something the psalmist is excited about or not. Uh, and, and so, and I think probably rightfully so, most of us would probably say there are times when we hope God sees what we do, right? When we're serving or doing good things, huh? Huh? right? And then there are times when we wish that God's eyes would be closed. Yeah, see? <laughs> Finally, some honesty in this place, all right. And that's exactly right. And so, and so but, but the psalmist, one way or the other, the psalmist knows and believes fully that God is active and alive each and every day of his life. And one of the things that researchers have discovered is that most teen Christians have a more deistic understanding of God. And the classic understanding of that, of course, is that, that God kind of created the world and then just kind of goes off and lets us do whatever we want. Now, this is a little bit different, I think. It's more the way our teens understand it, probably because it's the way most of their parents, and by parents, I mean covenant parents, understand it, which is that God is kind of compartmentalized to one section. And what section of their lives is that compartmentalized to? What perhaps time of week is that, would you say? You know the answer. So we wake up on Sunday mornings and we, 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 sometimes we dress up. Sometimes um, we wear interesting shorts like uh, Andy Miner had on earlier, if you want to look at those shorts at some time. And so we, we, we wear whatever we wear and we come to church, and we sing, and we've got smiles, right? And we say hi, and we, we go home, and then we get on with the real parts of our week. And we functionally live deistic lives, so that Monday through Saturday, we're really not thinking about God that much. We're not thinking about the fact that God is really with us and sees us as we get up to go to work, and as we come home, and as we lay down. And so one of the things that we have got to be able to do as a church is begin to say, how can we put structures in our lives? What can we do to make sure that we are wrestling with who God is, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week? It's a part of the reason why I oftentimes will give you homework. This is my, my helpful way. Well, I think it's helpful. My, my, my way of trying to help us to begin to see that this isn't just about Sunday mornings. Right? And, and we as a staff, we, we, we perpetuate this because we make it oftentimes, we put so much energy into, into what we do here. Whether you can always tell or not, we're trying here. And so we, we come and we spend all this energy here, which is fine. Sunday morning is important. But it is not nearly as significant as making sure that throughout the week, we are realizing that God is alive and at work. So the session's been working on this, staff has been working on this, and, and, and here, uh, especially coming up in January, we're going to be rolling out a way for us to try and do that more and to, to try to be more and more intentional about making sure that God is more than just something that we compartmentalize to one particular hour or so of our week. Because if we don't begin to live like that, then I promise you our children will not live like that. One of the other things that's striking about this 139th Psalm is not just what is said, but is the way in which it is said. And I think it says something or has something to say to us. There is an intimacy in the way that the psalmist speaks. The psalmist says, you know, you have searched me and known me. You have knit me together. 
And, and, and as he can, continues to talk about, as Scott said, how, how you are, you know, we are wonderfully and beautifully made. You, you get that you, you can't help but realize this is not this psalmist's first rodeo. This is not the first time he has ever talked to God because you don't speak intimately like that with someone unless you have talked to them a lot. This is much more than just a once a week conversation. This is an every day we have talked. And one of the things it seems to me is that there is a direct correlation between how much we talk to God and how much we talk about God to others. There is a direct correlation, it seems to me, between how much we talk to God and how much we talk about God to others, including our children. And what research has discovered is that those teens who are most likely to have captured the faith of their parents and of their covenant parents are those who have been in environments where their parents and covenant parents are always talking about God. Right now, this doesn't mean that every sentence has to have a member of the Trinity in it, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But it, but it does mean that we need to be able to have conversations. And, and when the psalmist, as he does here in the 139th Psalm, talks about the beauty of creation and how it's from God, that we need to be able to go outside with our kids and very quickly and easily as we're looking out at the beautiful day, say, isn't it amazing how God has created this? It's very simple. And when, and when we think about our kids and, and their grades and what we're thinking about, right? What are we, we're oftentimes worried about, well, how are they going to do in school? And, and we have these concerns. We want them to do well so that they can then go to a good college, right? And, and then they can get a paycheck, right? And, and then they can get out of the house, right? This is, this is what we want. And while those things are important, the reason why you have these children. The reason why we want them to do well has nothing to do with the fact that they get into the right college or get the right job or move into the right house. It is because of the fact that they have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God and they have been created in order to do something for God and for neighbor. That's why we encourage them. And how often are you, when you have a child in, in high school or middle school, how often are you talking to them about the fact that they are doing well because they are there to glorify God versus simply to do well on a test or in life as we understand it? And so we have to begin doing better jobs of making sure that we are talking about God. And it's one of the reasons why we are doing this Jesus Storybook Bible, right? I've talked about this already. And, and, and we're doing this, right? This is a beautiful book here. And, and, and so the reason why we're doing this is really kind of twofold. One is that, that it kind of gets us back to our roots. And I always think it's great for adults to be able to go back and look at stories that maybe we heard as kids, David and the Goliath and the like, and, and be able to look at it more as adults. But the other reason reason what we're doing it is because what we're going to do this coming up uh, year, as I said, it's going to be a while, is we're going to look at, let's say a story like this, right? You see this picture? What do you think this story is about? You're going to know here in a few months. All right. This is a story about, this is, this is city walls. Ah, uh, 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 Jericho, right? And so what's going to happen is as we sit here and as, as one of us preaches on this story about Jericho, then our middle school students and our high school students and our elementary school students, what story are they going to be looking at? Jericho. 
So that when we go, when we come together in the gathering space afterwards or as the week goes on, we can talk about what we learned about Jericho and the kids can talk about what they learned about Jericho. Or when we're talking about how to pray or, or different stories about uh, the prodigal son, we can talk about that together, not just adults to adults, but we can talk about it as children. We know what it is that they're looking at and we can begin to practice that. And if we are going to teach our kids how not to have a deistic faith, but a fully alive faith, then we have to be able to talk about how scripture and God is shaping our everyday lives. Now there's one other thing it seems to me that is vitally important that we learn from the 139th Psalm when it comes to passing down our faith. It's a part of the story that, or part of the psalm that, quite frankly, most people don't really like. In fact, most scholars, when they, at least many, when they look at it, they say, well, this, this can't be written by the, by, by the original psalmist. Clearly, somebody else put this in. And, 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 and do you all know what a lectionary is? Um, Okay. Yeah, no. Okay. So um, I didn't think so. So a lectionary are things that churches do. Uh, quite a few Presbyterians do them, but not us. Okay. And so, uh, and what it is, it's like a three-year cycle of, of assigned readings, if you will. And every three years you go through it. And, uh, but when they deal with the 139th Psalm, they leave this particular part of the Psalm out as if it doesn't even exist because they don't like it. And here's what it is. And I understand it's verses 19 through 22. And it makes sense because let me read to you verse 18. It says, I come to the end. I am still with you. That's beautiful, isn't it? And then it says, Lord, slay the wicked. And, and, and it's this kind of strange kind of whiplash where all of a sudden we've gone from this beautiful, almost romantic language about God. And, and all of a sudden then the psalmist is like, and kill the enemies. So it causes many people some consternation, some unease. And yet as I read it, for some reason, it brings me great joy. Now, no, not what you're thinking. I don't pray for my enemies to be killed, okay? A flat tire is okay, but not anything more than that. It's because actually I like the honesty. And it's something that we've talked about a lot when it comes to the Psalms. The Psalms do a great job of in one sense kind of talking about how wonderful God is and all these great things. But then it also does a great job of at times saying, wait a second, where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything to my enemies or your enemies? And it seems to me that if we are going to pass down the right kind of faith, a faith that really sticks, and we have to be able to be honest about our own struggles. Otherwise, none of it is believable. When I was in graduate school, I dated a, a young lady who was, um, who was very um, kind of artistic, if you will. She, she, she loved writing poetry and, and music, and, uh, and, and that was fine. I mean, she was no Megan, am I right? <laughs> yes, and um, this will be a quick story. And so... But she always just kind of, you know, that's how she looked at everything. And it was okay to a point. 
But I can remember distinctly one time when uh, she was in, she was from Sandusky, Ohio, right there uh, uh, on Lake Erie, and, and, and I was in Chicago, and, and we were on the phone, and she was telling me in her normal way uh, kind of what she was doing, you know. So she had taken her little, her golden retriever, and I can't remember the dog's name. Let's call him Goldie, and, 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 and they, were, they were there, and, and so she's telling me about, oh, and, you know, the sun, it was, you know, just kind of glistening and dancing off of the waves, and the, the water is playing with the sands, and and the winds are whispering joy and love. You know, that kind of stuff, right? And then she says, and Goldie, oh, Goldie is rolling around and frolicking in the legions of dead fish that have washed up on the shore. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And, she, and as if I had just simply misheard her, she said, oh, Goldie is frolicking amongst the legions of dead fish that have come up on the shore. And I said to her, that is disgusting. And she couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe that. I didn't see the beauty of it. But here's the reality. It's disgusting. (laughs) But because of the fact that she couldn't see that, it seems to me, it made everything else she was saying seem somewhat false. Like it wasn't real and genuine. And so when we teach our children the faith, we need to be able to teach them the honesty, how sometimes we feel like we are wondering why God is not doing anything to our enemies, why God is not active in our lives, why we don't see him working. Now, it needs to be age appropriate, and how that looks at eight will look very different than how it looks at 18. But I am fully convinced that if all we're doing is telling our kids that everything about God is, or everything in our lives when it comes to God is going to be wonderful and that there are no questions and we don't ever struggle with faith, then we are not being honest. And the reality is that when difficult times come for them, and they inevitably will, they will begin to question everything that you have ever told them about the faith. It is vital that this morning as we baptize Lyle and as children go back to school and as, 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 as we kind of get out into our lives, that we realize that God is fully alive each and every day. And that we have to talk to him more and more so that we can then be more willing to talk about him. And that we are a people who are not afraid to be honest about our struggles with God. And I am fully convinced that if we can do that, then our lives will say much more than our words ever could. And that our children, our grandchildren, our our children, our covenant children, will not help but begin to understand more and more and take ownership as to what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so my homework for you this morning And for this week, is that when you go out and you see a backpack on top of attached to a kid, when you see a school bus that stopped somewhere, that you will remember, that you will ask yourself, am I living in such a way that our children will claim this faith as their own? May it be so. Amen.